0: You're listening to Reach, a podcast created for professional bloggers to help you expand your reach and maximize your bottom line. I'm your host, Val Geisler, fellow blogger and marketer at ConvertKit. Do you daydream of having a business bestie to share all of the ups and downs with? Maybe you wonder if a potential collaboration with another blogger would ever work. More importantly, would it ever be profitable? Abigail Pumphrey and Emily Williams knew it was business love at first sight when they met and formed Think Creative Collective. They now educate thousands of creative entrepreneurs just like you through a wealth of blog posts, free online workshops, and their popular Strategy Academy. In this conversation, Abigail and Emily share why they're better together, how their original partnership has shifted over time, what it was like to make no money for a while, and why pricing really does not matter. If you find yourself feeling inspired by today's interview and want to impact your own reach right away, get our free action guide from this episode at convertkit.com reach or just click the link in your podcast player. Let's find out how Think Creative Collective achieved their reach. Hey Emily and Abigail thanks for being here today. Hey, thanks for having us. Thank you so much. yeah, it's always fun to have a a, a duo on the show. We had Josh and Jill Stanton on previously um and they have a business together and a partnership and uh, but they also are married and so the difference with you guys is that you're not married although um, it feels like it <laughs> yes, a hundred percent is why wife. Just, she, Yes. Yeah. It's pretty amazing how that happens for business partnerships. Um and you know, I've been talking to you both as kind of colleagues and and, and then as Convert Kit customers too um, for a little while and I've gotten to know Think Creative Collective over the past several months, uh, I think, if not a little longer, yeah, and um, and I'd love for you to share in your own words what Think Creative Collective is for you, um, and even a little bit of behind the scenes of why you guys started, um, why you put, went into business together and started this this collective, this partnership.
1: Yeah, so I'll start kind of why we got together, and then Abigail can chime in about our whole mission. Um, As for the how, I think a lot of people have heard this, but in case they haven't, we um, met in a Facebook group, so we met online, and we decided to collaborate together, and that turned into an amazing, deep biz relationship very quickly, and within a few short couple months, decided to go into partnership for the simple reason that we realized that we were better together. We didn't want to be in competition. We wanted to... Combine our knowledge and our skills and our forces to make something huge and incredible. And I think recognizing that was crucial um, to how we kind of interact with creative entrepreneurs today um, and obviously is what formed the collective as everyone knows it today.
2: Yeah. And so what it is that we do exactly. I mean, we started as a branding and marketing company a lot like There's tons of creative business out there doing branding, website design, and photography. And that's where we started. We were just literally doing what we'd done for years, but together. And um, that quickly became evident that although we were good at it and we had clients and that was moving and grooving for us, it wasn't where our heart was. Our heart was in teaching. And it kind of always has been. Like, Emily and I both wanted to be teachers when we grew up and some extent like Emily wanted to be a college professor and I mean that was definitely on my radar for a, something that was a potential for me but I never really imagined it would morph into our entire business but over the last three or four months, we've completely transitioned away from one-on-one client work and are exclusively serving the creative entrepreneur community with educational products um, so they can build a thriving business online that fuels both their soul and their pocketbook. Because at the end of the day, we want people to be doing what they love, and then we'll teach them all the business skills and tools that they need to grow, whether that's systems or using awesome like syst- services like ConvertKit, and um, just giving them those tools so that they can, you know, be the best they can be.
0: I think one of the things you do really well, um, both through your content, the the emails you send out, your blog posts, your your products, and and even through social media, is that you really um remove the the scary factor of of being in business because i think for so many creatives especially um there's all these scary things like oh now i have to invoice and i have to um i, I I have to have hard conversations with clients and like, can't I just design their websites and they can just go away? Right. um, (laughs) And, (laughs) and I think that happens so often that it's a a stopping point for a lot of people who, who want to do this full time, um, but really don't want to have to figure all of that out. And you, you so beautifully figure it out for them and then teach everything, you know, about, what it means to run a business. Um, and I, I wonder if, you said you always wanted to teach, um, but I wonder if when you were running your own businesses, you were kind of in the back of your minds, but, and feel free to answer this individually for sure, but um, you know, were you thinking the whole time, oh, I wish someone had taught me this, or I really want to really teach this to other people as you were going through it?
2: Well, 100% while we were building the business that was what the original Think Creative Collective was, that branding services-oriented business, the whole time we were blogging about running a business. So that never really changed. That was like the underlying thing that kept happening. We were sharing what was working, what wasn't working, how we dealt with customer service, how we talked about pricing. um, how we handled clients and I mean, just all the nitty gritty stuff that goes into running a business, things like accounting and legal work and stuff that no one ever really wants to talk about it Cause it's not always sexy, but it's so necessary to being profitable and legit and having all your ducks in a row. Um, so that was there the whole time. And I think it just became ever present. Like this was where we needed to put our focus. We joke, um, that it was like running a business and a side hustle simultaneously because the services business was mostly local small businesses and running on referrals and it wasn't necessarily that we were getting the traffic and traction from online. Um, So building that online platform at the time, it it wasn't necessarily serving profitable for us and we just had to, You know, run with it and just say, okay, I guess we're going to do this thing and we better start putting content out there. But I don't know. Emily, can you voice more on that? Well, I think for
1: us, we had to make a decision. Either we could continue to build websites and do logos and branding and photos and everything um, and kind of keep our strategy and our opinions on how people could be better at business to ourselves because it's really exhausting to be both of those people for one client Um, And uh, personally, I have opinions about everything. And together, we always love to tweak someone else's process or workflows or systems so they could be more successful, profitable, spend less time, less hustle, but seeing greater reward. And we just found it harder and harder to keep that information to ourselves. And so we wanted outlets to put that out there in in a more in depth format, because the blog really touches the surface of a lot of things. But what way could we go deeper with that? And that for us was courses and challenges and programs and webinars. Um, And so once those things started happening, and we got such great response from that, then we kind of found our happy place there.
0: So Emily, you said that you found that you were better together. Yeah. um, when you when you first met and fell in business love with each other. Um, so can you speak a little bit more to that and, um, and what that means for you? And, and, and how does partnering up with someone actually impact and, and potentially expand your reach?
1: It's insane because we've had collaborations since each other. I mean, we were our first collaboration um, that just led to a biz partnership. Um, we've had collaborations since then that have gone amazing and some that have gone just kind of meh. And so I think we get a lot of questions about how do you know when a collaboration is going to work? How do you know if I should go into partnership with someone else? And it's really, really hard to answer because obviously it's different for everyone in everyone's business. And for us... It was honestly one of those probably the way that you shouldn't make a lot of like logical business decisions and we really just went with our gut. And we knew that a a couple weeks in, a couple months in, working together that things just kind of fell into place. We fell into natural roles. Um, Abigail's strengths came out and I was able to delegate some of that stuff to her and same for me. And we just started seeing these pieces of our business fall to each other. And we saw that our conversations together about growing a business and our crazy dreams about what we wanted it to look like and what we wanted to do were the same. And that's not normal. (laughs) Um, we have kind of crazy, we call them Oprah size goals. Um, they're ridiculous. Like they're insane and they are not for everyone. And so, I think that is a lot of the foundation of why we work well together and so when other people are working either in a potential partnership or with collaborations always asking yourself and the other person what do we want this end result to be and if that matches then the relationship's probably going to work out well but if you two have completely different ideas of the outcome of whatever the project is or the grand scheme of things then you guys are going to be working to towards something completely different. And there's going to be a lot of clash that comes up.
2: But as far as like expanding the reach, I mean, I can't even tell you how much more done oh we my get gosh. working together. It is, it is insane to me the like, I don't know if it's productivity changes or just because both of us can actually focus on what we're good at instead of all of the other things that we hate. Like Emily hates accounting, <sighs> like she hates numbers. Like it makes her want to barf. She doesn't touch it. I just send her a check and she's like very happy with that. And that, I mean, that's just one piece, but those things that you don't like doing can end up consuming you so much because you dread it and you put it off. And when they're necessary pieces, it can, it can be really frustrating. So even if it's not necessarily a business partnership, but taking things off your plate on a slow scale, I'm not saying you need to hire someone that's going to work 40 hours a week side by side with you, but is there some small task you can delegate even to someone who maybe wants to volunteer or just get like more experience? I mean, we have um, ambassadors in our Facebook group and our Facebook group would fall Mm -hmm. apart if we didn't have other people monitoring it because there's, there's over 3000 people in there and we can't be in there all day. And so there are extra sets of eyeballs, making sure people are following the rules and, um, I don't know, having those pieces taken care of just takes the weight off, you know, that's,
0: um, that's such an important point to, to know that you can't do it all by yourself. Um, and nor are you going to want to for a long period of time. Um, I mean, you, you can temporarily and we've all done it all by ourselves, um, but it's not really sustainable, um, but partnership isn't for everyone. Um, can you talk a little bit about how it's hard? Um, so you're, you're better together. But um, like any relationship, there's there's hard points. And uh, and I think it's something that stops people from going into business together. Um, can you talk about how it's hard and how you work through those hard times? Uh, Well,
2: okay. So I wouldn't say it's hard very often. Like, honestly, I get along with Emily more than I do my husband, (laughs) I think. And she would 100% admit that that is truth. Um, I've never liked anybody this much in my life. So it's pretty, it's pretty easy most of the time. But as far as things that just make things hard. I mean, we both have priorities in our head of what we think should be done in what order. And most of the time we agree on that. But like just the other day, we were talking about our website and like the future of that. And we were like, okay, if we had like $10,000 and we were going to invest in something, um, what would it be? And I was talking about like completely regutting gutting the website and like all of these things that would go into that. And she was like, ah, I would maybe pay for like a $10,000 mastermind where I knew like the people in there were going to be freaking amazing. And like, we're going to learn all of these things. And, um, neither one of those are necessarily on the table right now, but if that's the case, you don't always have the same priorities as someone else. And it became clear the other day well who who decides if we just like genuinely don't agree because we've never had something where we were like hands down we like totally are opposite that was that was the first time that kind of came up and we're like oh i wonder who's like the tiebreaker <laughs> we don't have a tiebreaker like i guess the dogs vote or something but the, we each have two so i'm sure we put in the same yeah. amount of votes for both <laughs> number of us. Raise. exactly <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, so I think that could get difficult, but I don't know. It's really about knowing the person, like, on a really deep level of or do you want the same things? Because at the end of the day, if you're not going after, like, if someone just wants a business where they work 20 hours a week and they raise children and, like, their focus is on the household and they just want to grow it a little bit, and then the other person's like, I want to build a freaking empire and I want millions of people to know who I am like you guys are just not gonna work out so being clear on your priorities and even if you don't tell anyone else like nobody has to know every single secret but if you want the part your partner to like be with you you have to be willing to tell them even those scary things that you normally wouldn't be willing to say out loud
0: that totally makes sense um you know People get nervous about having those difficult conversations um, in in any relationship. Um, And especially when it comes to business, that is one of the biggest challenges, whether it's with a client or um, or with with a business partner or even just a, a temporary collaboration, because a lot of us have experienced those like oh well, let's build a course together or um or write this ebook together or or work on this project together and so those are great ways to try things on a little bit before you really go into business together Mm-hmm. Um, what were the early days? You mentioned that Think Creative Collective has really shifted over time. And what were the early days like? <laughs> um, where Were you trying on this relationship? Were um, you doing projects together and, and hiring each other and that kind of thing? Um, or did you dive right in?
1: Yeah. So at the beginning, our our very first relationship, working relationship together, we each owned our own businesses separately and we hosted a joint webinar together and sold at the end of it. I made Abigail an affiliate for a course that I had already created. She helped me with some new content, helped me market it in a different way, and we loved it. We were addicted to that. So I think even after that relationship, we knew we were going to at least sell that thing together again. So in the coming weeks, we asked ourselves, how could we help each other's audience get used to the other person? So Abigail had an established blog at that time. I did not. And so I started guest posting for her blog. Um, I think like every other day or twice a week, this was when we had five blog posts a week going out, Monday through Friday. Um, So that started for a little bit. But we like to kind of say or explain, it's hard to explain, our relationship, it's like in dog years. Like, every, like, 300 days are fit into, like, two weeks. Like, a lot happens in a very short amount of time over here. So, after a couple weeks of me posting over there, I just stopped my blog in general, and we had like a schedule where I would do like Monday, Wednesday, Friday, one week, and then I would do Tuesday, Thursday, the next week, and Abigail would pick up the other days, and then we were like, what the heck are we doing? Why would we build two separate businesses going towards the same goal? Like, let's just join forces. So when we did that in September, we were still doing the one-on-one client work, so I was doing brand photography, styling, um, a little bit of strategy sessions with creative business owners, Abigail was doing website design, logo, branding, etc., And so we just offered each other's services to our clients. So we made giant packages for a lot of money that we were kind of nervous about and told our clients, okay, well, if you want photos, you're also getting a website or a logo or branding and vice versa. And that worked out from about September to January of this year until we just kind of got burnt out on clients and decided that we were going to completely leave them and then just move on with the education. But it we were very lucky, very lucky in the sense that from day one, we just naturally fell into roles. They really weren't talked about a lot. They really weren't delegated too much. Um, If one person likes this thing, that's just the role they're going to take. And it was easy. Um, So it shifted very quickly, but from like Maybe I'm just gonna collaborate in guest posts and we'll like help each other out here and there to let's take clients together to let's completely scrap that business and make something else
0: um so the money thing um let's let's talk about that for a minute because like you said, you created these packages and they mm-hmm. were a little bit of a scary amount of money to to say to clients yeah. um, and uh, and I think something that holds a lot of people back in partnership is. Well, now my revenue is cut in half um, so so there's there's that side of it, and then the other thing I want to talk about with money, and we can pick one or the other to talk about first, but is that shift from one on one client work to education and courses. Um, I know so many people want to do that and want to make that leap. um, And especially as a business partnership where you are splitting the revenue, what does that look like and and what was scary about it? And how did you, how did you make that shift?
2: Well, the, the, the client work, it was pretty easy. It was just a, it was an upfront negotiation about the packages and we were like analyzing what was included in each and then really talked about this would be your role and this would be my role and this would be the split. And they weren't necessarily 50-50 at that point, but there were some services where she was going to get all of it and some services where she was going to get Sixty percent, or I was going to get 60%. And then, you know, we just kind of worked it out from there. So at that point, it wasn't necessarily scary. When it got scary was when we said, oh, no, literally everything we put out into the universe, you get 50% of. That's when it got real for me. And I definitely had a lot of anxiety about it. And it had nothing to do with how much I loved Emily. It was literally like but what if we don't make enough yeah, money like that's
0: a real concern uh, for mm-hmm. every single business owner
2: and i mean it was definitely a leap of faith and so we went into um, the services and they ramped up and we kept we made more and more money every month and then in january we we made over $20,000 and i just remember talking to emily and crying and saying like okay i know we made this much money but I am so, so exhausted and I worked way too much and I had these high-end clients that were very demanding of my time and attention and I didn't get to focus on anything for the business and our blogging and our social media were kind of falling apart at the time and we knew that wasn't where our heart was. And so we had already opened the doors for Biz BizChick Co-op at that point, but it was like a minute Mm -hmm. mark part of our income and we're like well if we want this to be you know 90% of our income something's gonna have to shift around here and so we just talk to each other about what happens if we say no and I remember the day I turned off our services (sighs) page I think I had like a minor panic attack I was literally freaking out. Emily is always the chill, like go with the flow lady. And I am always like the, but what if this happens? (laughs) And I don't know if we're going to make any money or are we, is the price wrong or whatever. And, um, it always works out. I'm always like double that price, triple it. Um, so we said no to services. So people still inquired, people kept finding it, even though it was like, MIA we eventually had to put up a we're booked sorry we don't do services anymore page um and I'm not gonna lie we made like not any money at all in February Mm. and March like zero like nearly zero (laughs) dollars um but we just kept trucking and our we had very supportive husbands who just kind of turned a blind eye to the lack of paycheck (laughs) happening around here. And we're like, okay, well, just like, let us show you the way. And I think things really changed when we changed our system for our courses. So BizChick was a um, subscription-based model, and we decided to change it to a course-based model with either a payment plan or a one-time payment. And we moved over to Teachable and like... Our whole world turned upside down. Money kept coming in, and we had time, finally, to make more courses. And since then, I think we're up to five yeah. courses, um, and that dollar sign keeps going up every month, and we just pretty much made what we did in January, in July, um, but it took... Most of that time to get back to where we were before.
1: Yeah, it took a good four months for the foundations that we were laying to take hold and to take place. Because um, that's not to say that we just said, well, we're turning off services and we hope that all of this stuff works out. We were doing a lot of work to mm. grow our list, um, showcase our expertise, get in front of other people's audience add value to everyone for free um, and to just be present in our group and love on the people who were already coming and who were already in the door more and I think that really helped a lot and then of course our newest program has gone like amazingly and that was kind of freaky like how um, well that went but I think that's really shifted a lot of how we talk to our audience and what we provide for them and kind of like even what we think about our courses because it was one of the easiest programs to make but it's been the, as of right now our most successful one
0: yeah so let's talk about Trello for business yeah. so that's for those uh, those who don't know that's the most recent course that Think Creative mm-hmm. has put out um and what i find in in looking at it and and knowing what i know about your business is that like you said Emily it's that um it 's the easiest thing to create is often the most successful um and something like Trello for business could feel like this is obvious to right me. right um this is something this it's the way you mention in in the sales copy for it that it's you know the way you run your business and that it's like those are the screenshots of like these are our projects and this is how we use it um talk about that realization of it's the the thing that seems obvious to you
1: well that's what we lo- like that's what we love to teach is we skim past all the complicatedness and we like to say over and over again that it's not rocket science but this works like anything that we do is not a magic potion pill it's not out of your reach it is totally doable for every single business person to replicate and use in their own small business to help them grow and succeed and be profitable. And Trello is no different. And we were right there where a lot of you guys are of like the sticky notes and the post-its and the iPhone app and the paid app and the free app and all of these project management systems and task management systems that just like kind of cruddled up your computer and like died a slow death. And so we needed change. And so we were introduced by Trello, um, by another amazing creative entrepreneur. And she kind of showed us how she used it. And just light bulbs went off in our head with how we could use this for clients and how we could teach product-based businesses, how to use it and photographers, how to use it and wedding planners, how to use it. Cause those are our people. And so when we just laid it out there and showed it, um, I think people were just like, Holy crap, like this is easy. It's not rocket science, but it's already done for me. Um, And I will brag on our sales page a little bit. I think. Another reason why it's been so successful and why I say it was one of the easiest programs to create is because it's a low-dollar program, so we it's not that we didn't care about it, but we didn't put as much stress into, like, okay, the sales page has to be absolutely perfect, and we need to hit on all these pain points and say all of, like, the, everything that's inside and describe it by detail like we do with our higher-dollar programs. So we just kind of, like, I literally wrote the sales page in, what, 45 minutes, Abigail? Oh, probably yeah, less, probably than, less that. than that. Yeah. I'm cracking up the whole time. Like, I think I'm hilarious, guys. So you can definitely tell me that I'm not.
2: <laughs> it's true. She's always like in the middle of writing and I just hear her giggling because we talk on the phone, but I won't say anything. We're literally like both sitting on the phone all day and I just hear her laughing at herself <laughs> typing. So I wrote the funniest her- sales
1: page that I've ever read in my life and we, Abigail designed it and didn't put too much... Not that she didn't put thought into it. That's not what I'm saying at all, but it was just such an easy program. We were like, well, it's so cheap. It's so great. Everyone needs it that we're just going to put it out there and it's going to be funny, and people loved it, like loved it.
2: Yeah, and we definitely had someone read it to make sure what we thought was funny was actually funny. (laughs) We had to verify our jokes were legit, um, but we have gotten... Twitter testimonials that someone bought it because my dog has a testimonial on our
0: sales page. Yeah, that's, that's a great part of the sales page. (laughs) You know, it's that, that human element. And that's something that you both have brought to the brand from the beginning is just Mm -hmm. being human and real and, um, and sharing, sharing from a uh, a fellow business owner place as opposed to like, a marketer you know um right. and and wearing that like i'm with you hat um and uh, you know you mentioned that this particular course is a a low dollar um price point and I would love to hear your take on that as far as pricing for your audience and um, and the success of this course versus some of the higher dollar price courses and, uh, and what that means for you moving forward as far as pricing goes.
2: Well, this... I could say a million things about pricing. I will say that pricing doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I know people get all cut up on, well, should it be 397 or 395 <laughs> Like, it literally, like, the number doesn't matter. Um, it could be expensive. It could be cheap. I will say that it was definitely a ploy on our part to make it a cheap program. And I don't say cheap as in not quality. I say cheap as in... Literally, it's cheaper than going to Target. Yeah, it's $29,
1: guys. (laughs) Yeah,
2: exactly. Um, So we did that intentionally um, with the thought that, well, if we do this and people come in and they're willing to pay a little bit, um, it's that easy. Yes, so that when they come back and they're ready to spend more and do more, um, we have other things to offer them at the higher price point. Um, but it's been so successful. Part of me is like, make it all twenty nine dollars.
0: I think there's such a there's such a dichotomy out there about pricing, and it's something we study a lot at ConvertKit with our our customers and uh, different. Pricing points with their own products. Um, That's it, a lot of p words, but um, <laughs> I, you know, you see everything from twenty nine dollar products to nine thousand dollar products, um, and and everything in between. And there is a lot of mindset work that goes into pricing, but ultimately, it's what's right for your audience. Yes. Mm -hmm. Well, and
1: we have a program dedicated to like just to pricing. It's called the Money Making Creative. And it was the first program that we actually collaborated on. It used to be called Pricing for Profit. Um, And it's a program that I created. It it has since morphed into something um, very different. But I I was a full-time photographer before all of this. And I wanted to make money and not just be a girl with the camera making $25 a session. And so I had to learn a lot about sales processes and packages and the psychology behind selling and pricing and all of that good stuff. And so after I was successful in doing that, I taught that and to other photographers and creative business owners who were in that similar industry. And uh, like the, the value of a $29 program, um, Versus a a thousand dollar program or a three hundred dollar program, all of it's different, and so I don't, I still don't think that a twenty nine dollar program right now would have gone as crazy good as it did if we had put it out a year ago. Um, our three hundred dollar programs. Um, have gone better. Um, if if we've simply changed the sales page or simply changed the pitch, not anything about what's in the program, not anything about the price, but just how we talk about the course, who, um, we're attracting in our audience, how we're educating them about the product. And so we like to tell our people, honestly, the last thing you should change about what you're trying to sell is the price and change or tweak everything else before you get to that.
2: Yeah, it might be something super small that's putting people off. Or maybe you thought you explained yourself, but people just legitimately don't get it. Um, We had a fellow entrepreneur send us their sales page recently. And I called Emily and I was like, I have no idea what this is. Like, I literally read the whole thing. It was long. And I was like, I don't know what this is. Mm. And and that was scary. Mm. I was like, I wanted to save them. I was like... I want to help you and make this work. And um, I'm sure it will be perfect by the time it's actually live and out there. But it, you have to be aware of how other people view what you're doing. And I think it really helps that there's two of us because mm-hmm. sometimes I'm like, Emily, you do not make any sense right <laughs> now. What did you mean by this word that I swear is not in the English dictionary? Um <laughs> And then sometimes it means us getting an outside perspective too. Mm -hmm. So I think not being afraid to ask people, do I make Mm -hmm. sense? Do you understand what this is? And then also on the front end, like just vetting if this idea you have is going to work. We probably talked about Trello for two or three Mm -hmm. months before we even remotely thought about making it a product. And then... We jumped in and we started talking about it even more before we launched it. So by the time we got around to launching it, it was like wildfire around here.
0: So did you do what a lot of people suggest, and that you probably even suggest to your own um, to your own tribe of that that MVP, that minimum viable product on Trello for business, where you created you know enough of the product outline in order to to sell it, um, and then kind of pre-sell it, and then open it up or did you build the product and then sell
2: oh we we always build the product i think what i think we might oh there was one thing we did one of our collaborations um it was actually super niche so one of our ladies alex estes she runs prairie letter shop she's a hand letter and calligrapher and so i wanted to get my design shoes wet and i wanted to teach um, these calligraphers who have beautiful handwriting, which I don't, how to use Photoshop so that they can like use these skills and run a successful business by being able to duplicate their work. Um, and so we talked to her... And we had an idea for a course, but it was so niche. And because our audience is way bigger than that. It's not just hand letters and calligraphers like that. That doesn't make sense for us, but for her it does. And so we collaborated with her and we definitely didn't have anything done. Like we literally, we sat down in a living room for like an hour and a half, recorded three videos and none of it was done. And then we ended up doing it live after we sold, we sold out Um, for live seats and then we since have re-recorded all the content so that it's an evergreen product Um, but I think every other time we've done this we've just gone with our gut and just made it and then sold it and some
1: that's not necessarily true um biz chick was a drip format. That's true. We opened the doors in December and only had quote one module because we were going to do that on a month to month basis forever Mm -hmm. until we woke up and we were like, well, that's crazy pants because that's a lot of content. (laughs) And so we capped that at nine months, but we were making the content every single month. And actually our first program was the same way where I had the stuff made. But when I first sold that course, I didn't have anything made at all. Um, I pitched people at the end of a webinar to buy the course because I wanted to actually sell something before I spent my time on it. So I encourage people who are new to course making to actually not make anything at all. Um pitch it to your audience, decide on a price, get a sales page and know what's in it so you can actually sell it, but don't spend your time making anything yet. Um because if you don't sell any seats, then it's just going to be a waste of your time. But if you do and then you get feedback on it, it can actually shape what you're going to make in your actual program.
2: Yeah. I will say though, once we we did sell it, and we sold like six seats, and it was like a major flop. And uh, oh my god, I was like dreading making the content because we had only sold six. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, I'm not getting paid enough to do this, and this is not working. And but I think the thing is, we just kept tweaking, and we kept going back to it. And my husband's even said uh, then he's like you know you've tweaked and redone that program like four times now? And he's like, think about how differently it's gone now. And so just because you've made something or you have this brilliant idea and it's not necessarily received well by your audience in this moment doesn't mean it won't have a life at another point in your business Um, because I feel like we resurrected it from the dead and it's been super crazy popular. So.
0: That definitely happens even on blog writing, not just creating products, but I know I hear a lot of people will write an entire blog post and then decide to never publish it. Um, but then end up submitting it to a guest post on someone else's site or, you know, so I think there's, there is an element of create it knowing that you can use it in other places or um, it, it will have a home eventually, even if it's not where you think it was. Um, and and then also know what you're getting into before you put too much effort into it.
2: Well, I, I mean, as much as I would like to say everything has a place, I will say not everything yeah. has a place. Like we, our least popular blog post ever um, was a recipe for Blueberry Crisp. No. Uh, um, does that make any sense? No. Why do? Why did Think Creative Collective ever have recipes? Don't ask me. I was new to blogging. I had no clue what I was because doing. Because recipes so get I, pins, I, Right? <laughs> well, that, that's what I was thinking. I was like, I'll attract people. But obviously, I can't target business owners who want to cook. Like, that was going to be weird. So, that did not work out. So, I will say... Not everything has a place. I mean, you can try it, and if it doesn't work out, then you know it doesn't have a place, but yeah. you don't necessarily need to spin your wheels Okay, on so it.
0: Blueberry Cobbler doesn't work. What does work? What has had the biggest reach for you guys?
1: Our most popular post. Emily, you want to talk yeah, about it? Yeah, it's random. It still continues to be our most popular post, no matter what else we're putting out there. We wrote it what, back last September, so almost something, a year ago. Something like that. Um it's small business one oh one accounting for the non accountant. Wow. We wrote it um I guess before we even created the content for BizChick because we partnered with Amy Northard, yeah. the accountant for Creatives. We um it was definitely Abigail's words. I'm pretty sure I shot the picture um, and maybe gave some, some tidbits. But Abigail um, is definitely old school in our accounting still. And so I think um, sharing that with other small business owners so they didn't have to feel like you need an accountant from day one. Um, but yeah, people love that post and it continues to be the, the highest traffic scene post
0: ever. It's, it's probably something that people google a lot too yes so that that yeah. Yeah. helps no i definitely think yeah. so so now that you you have this growing reach um you have a facebook group with three thousand plus people you have the biz chicks co-op you have all these um people going through your various courses what do you want to do with the reach that you have
2: <sighs> <laughs> i i want to i want to touch people's lives i know that sounds a little creepy and like <laughs> I don't know. Um, but no, seriously, I just want to, and, and Emily would voice the same thing, that we want to empower women to do the thing that they love and, like, feel like they have the tools and the capabilities to shine online. And it doesn't have to be impossible. It doesn't have to be just a dreamy berry in a shoebox. Like, it can be your business. You can make more money than your husband. You can have kids and be successful. You can wear yoga pants and be the most popular kid. Like, I mean, it doesn't, you don't have to be this corporate ladder guru to be successful these days. And so, We just want to help people. Um, Emily brought up a stat earlier, and I think she should definitely share that.
1: Yeah, I think when it comes to when we're asked why we do what we do and and why do we keep going and and do we want to reach more people... um, I've pulled up these great stats. Well, they're not great, actually. Um, The number of new entrepreneur women, female entrepreneurs coming into the scene every single year is decreasing. It was higher in 1996 than it is today. And that's insane to me. 62% of entrepreneurs every single year are men. And if we have to reach more people to get more women shaking their heads yes that they can do what they love and get paid for it, then yes, we want a bigger reach. We want to touch more people. We want to keep doing what we're doing because at the end of the day, you you do not have to follow the same path that everyone else is following. You don't have to follow the path that feels comfortable to you right now that your friends are doing or people from school or your mom wants you to do. Um, And we want those numbers to flip like... If we want to be real here, I want there to be more women entrepreneurs in the world. Period.
0: I love that mission, and it definitely is felt in everything that you do at Think Creative Collective. So, thanks for doing it. Keep doing it, um, and you know we'll we'll look forward to to more courses coming out of your teachable school and from your website and everything that you do to to help bolster women in uh, the entrepreneurship space. So. Thank you, Emily and Abigail. Thank you for your time today and for everything that you do. Thank you so much. Thank you. That was Abigail Pumphrey and Emily Williams of Think Creative Collective. You can get more of them and sign up for their next lunch break booty shake at thinkcreativecollective.com. Grab our free action guide from this episode to help you impact your own reach today head to convertkit.com reach or simply click the link provided right in your podcast player. It's time to expand your reach. We're so glad you started here. Thanks for listening.